Hey everybody, it's X. So, um, <laughs> I'm just dropping in here because the program we're using just was messing up and it was telling us we we're using a mic, but we weren't. So you're going to hear some Zach audio that is not up to par. So I apologize. Um, I hope you all enjoy the episode anyway. These are fun to do. Hopefully y'all can get in on the discussion as well. Mm, flavor. Okay, bye. Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today, we are going to be checking our predictions from March of the Machine to see which cards we thought see the most play in ED8 Trek uh, actually achieved their potential. Uh, and then we're also going to be providing our predictions for Lord of the Rings. Uh, we want to see... Well, we have some guesses as to which cards are going to be the, the breakout successes. Going to see playing a lot of decks on EDH rec. And of course, we'll be coming back in a couple months to check those predictions in our next prediction episode. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's check our predictions for March of the Machine. So after much deliberation, uh, we came up with a combined list of 10 cards that we thought, that we thought would see the most play. Uh, first, we had Phyrexian Sensor. Uh, that's the white uncommon Phyrexian that makes your opponents nons, make, well, makes all non-Phyrexians enter the battlefield tapped and makes it so you can only cast one non-Phyrexian spell each turn. Second, we had Fairy Mastermind, the two mana, two one flash flyer that draws you a card whenever your opponent draws their second card each turn. Then we had Corrupted Conviction, the uh, functional reprint of Village Rights. Fourth, we had Hoarding Broodlord, the like Rune Scarred Demon, but with Convoke, kind of. Um, we had Shieldred on there, the Flip uh, Praetor. City on Fire, the, the Fiery Emancipation with Convoke. We had Invasion of Ikoria, the X Green Green Battle that tutored out a non-human creature with um, Converted Mana Cost X. For number eight, we had Kami of Whispered Hopes, which was the Hardened Scales, but on a Mana Dork. And number nine, we had Ozolith, the Shattered Spire, the other Hardened Scales in the set. <laughs> And then number 10, we had Tribute to the World Tree, which is sort of like an elemental bond, but also you get plus and plus one counters on uh, creatures that are smaller than three power. So those were our 10 predictions. And let's check the actual top 10. So what were the actual top 10 cards from March of the Machine? Yeah, so the top 10 cards in order were number one, Tribute to the World Tree. Number two, Fairy Mastermind. Number three, Kami of Whispered Hopes. Number four, Ozolith, the Shattered Spire. Number five, City on Fire. Number six, Invasion of Ikoria. Number seven, Atali Primal Conqueror, which was the uh, seven mana, seven, seven trample, uh, five red, red, that when it ETBs, you 
flip cards from the top of everyone's library until you hit a non-land, and then you cast them for free. Um, and if you wanted, you can pay nine and a Phyrexian green mana to transform it into a ten or eleven eleven trample indestructible. When this deals damage to a player, they get that many poison counters. Um, so <laughs> that one made the list. Uh, number eight was Shieldred. Number nine was Breach the Multiverse, um, which we will talk about in a second. But just for everyone at home, Breach the Multiverse is a seven mana a black sorcery that says each player mills ten cards. For each player, choose a creature or planeswalker card in their graveyard. Put those cards onto the battlefield under your control. Then each creature you control becomes a Phyrexian in addition to their other types. Um, and then the last card was Corrupted Conviction. So if you were astute, if you're listening, I only had to read off two of those cards there. <laughs> um, we got eight out of ten, which is uh, pretty good, even for us. <laughs> like we we normally get like six or seven, right? And so like eight plus is is a uh, you know, we're hot. We're shooting hot. Yeah, uh, very pleased with our performance on this last set of predictions. Um, let's talk. Uh, even though we we did quite well, let's talk a little bit about the the cards that you know surprised us that ended up on the top ten that we weren't expecting. Um, how do you feel about the inclusion of Atali Primal Conqueror and Breach the Multiverse? What do you think about those cards? I think like a month or three ago like when the set came out that would have surprised me but now seeing like how atali plays and like me brewing decks that care about maybe casting from exile or big beaters or like just a bunch of different things i kind of see the ways where atali fits into different strategies more than she like i would have thought that she did i'm pretty sure it's a she um so that one makes a little bit more sense but i definitely got to give myself credit i don't think that i could have guessed that in the moment so that i'm fine with that inclusion being on the list um yeah i've seen plenty of atali decks on just playing like historic brawl on arena so with that context i'm a little less surprised to you know check back in and see atali being one of the more popular cards in the set it is fun to flip cards from a bunch of libraries and get a whole bunch of spells it definitely like atali the the first one was always kind of a fan favorite even though it really freaking sucked to just hit a land <laughs> this one kind of solves that problem it gives you that like visceral you know taking everyone car everyone's cards flipping a whole bunch of stuff um just seems like feel good magic the gathering um, mm-hmm. so so i get why that would card would make it onto this list and of course yeah. like the potential to you know, if you're willing to invest nine mana and two life, the potential to just kill somebody outright. Also yeah, kind of attractive. Yeah, yeah. 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 I totally get that. Just the dopamine hit that Atali represents. <laughs> like, it makes a little <laughs> more sense. But the, the other one on the list, um, Breach the Multiverse, I don't know if I ever would have guessed. I don't know how you feel about that one. So that's the Mil 10 reanimated creature planeswalker from everyone. Um, what, like, what do you think about this card? How, would would you have ever guessed that this was one of the ones that would see the most play? It it's it is surprising, you know. Um, I think it maybe speaks to our biases that we like hit pretty well on the cheap spells, 
and it was like the seven drop and the other seven drop that kind of uh, <laughs> flew under the radar for us. Um, but I think that like this isn't also kind of a, I mean, it's splashy. You do something big every time. Like the, um, I'd say that the just like visceral game action or like visceral like actions you're taking with Atali and Breach the Multiverse are both kind of the same. You're flipping cards from the top of each player's library. You're getting something sweet from everyone. Like they are kind of and they're kind of like similar in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. They just That's like true. feel good card. They yeah, they feel good when you play them. Um, and it's, you know, it's not nothing. There's a lot you can do with Breach the Multiverse. Um, at one, this is the kind of card I would put, if, you know, if I still had it together. Um, I had a deck that was pretty much all about like mass reanimation and like eternal witness effects. So mm. this is like a perfect card for that. Like I would be able to get back my eternal witness with my breach um, and get a car, get like some sort of creature or planeswalker from each of my opponent's graveyards as well. And then I just get my breach back when the eternal witness comes in this. It's a fun card. There's a lot you can do with it. Yeah, no, I, I see it now. It kind of makes a little bit more sense, but the, the card I'm actually most surprised isn't one that showed up on the top 10. It's more card that didn't show up on the top 10. It's the hoarding broodlord. So mm. this is the eight mana convoke dragon uh, that when it ETBs, you search your library, you basically demonic tutor, but you put the card into exile and it has convoke as long as it's exiled and you can cast it as long as it's exiled. Um, that uh, That is kind of <laughs> wild to me. Um, yeah, we've already that. like seen it in action. Our friend runs it in his Moira and Teshar list. And it's a beating every time it shows up. He, he like, I think in some situations it can be like a one card combo or something. So yeah, very powerful card. I think maybe it might be like the complexity of the card that um, keeps people from, or or like the deck building requirements to like kind of go off with it might be keeping people from just jamming it in their decks. I just feel like it's it's good in reanimate. Like I've played Runescar Demon in decks for a long time, just because it's like a big beater that tutors you. That if you can like kill it, like sack it and reanimate it multiple times, like that's pretty crazy. Um, like you just probably can win from that position, and that's mm-hmm. like hoarding Broodlord, but more <laughs> like like it's it is an ETB. You get to tutor on ETB and then it gives all of your spells from exile convoke. So like the eight mana doesn't really, it's not really eight mana either way you slice it. Like you either can convoke it into play because it's a seven, six flying with, or you're reanimating it. Yeah. Or you're reanimating it. So if you flicker it, you get to tutor again. Like it just seems like crazy. Maybe it just speaks to like how little people are running tutors again. Like maybe tutors are just not as, uh, as heavily played as they once were, which may, maybe that's something that the community has latched onto. But yeah, that's just, I figured a seven, six flyer that gets you whatever card on the cheap would be more popular, but I guess I was, um, I was wrong there. So yeah, that, that was it. We, I think we did a, a great job there. I also think it's really funny that the Kami and Ozolith 
they were together on our like predictions list, but they're also just together like right next to each other on the <laughs> actual top ten. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, in what like if you're running one, you're running the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, yeah. Okay, let's move on to our predictions for Lord of the Rings. Um, and before we start reading these off, I think we can just sort of like trade off cards, or maybe if we have the same cards, we can just uh, go through them quickly. Um, but before we jump into this, I just want to get your sense of Lord of the Rings. Like, do you think this was an easy set to come up with predictions for, or do you feel like really confident in your choices? Like, how overall um, are, are you? Do you think we're going to score well on this one is, is I guess my question or like, what are the factors that are going to influence our choices? Uh, that's a great question. I actually, so I'm, I'm confident in us. Um, I think that we are going to do it because just because like, I really, really tried to not uh, look at Nick's list at all. And then when we put our list next to each other, as you're about to hear, there's a lot in common, <laughs> which is usually a sign like that's usually a sign that something works out. So in particular, like as mom and as an example, like we both had City on Fire. We both had Invasion of Ikoria. We both had the Kami and the Ozolith, you know. So there was some stuff that we convinced each other of, you know, like I'm glad that you convinced me of tribute to the world tree. But uh, like the in general, that's a good sign that we're we're together on so many of them. I also think this set had so much hype that it's a little bit easier to gauge like player reactions from cards. Um, and then, as per usual, like by the time it takes us to get these set reviews out, like we've gotten to play with some of the cards and seen like how some of them work. So I think that also is contributing to like how heavily adopted I think some of them will be. But it was really hard to cut down to ten. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was definitely agree with that. Yeah, it was. It was like, hmm, uh, man, all of these cards see like all of these comparable cards see play in like fifty thousand decks or something on EDH, right? You know, like something like that, which is um, pretty wild that there's. So many, but also makes sense because if they're trying to make this set like just full of bangers, then yeah, of course they're they're gonna copy cards that people like to play with. You know, they want the mm -hmm. set to sell well. And they want to make sure that the universe is beyond is a thing that keeps happening. Yeah, okay. Obviously, you're gonna make another, you know, panharmonicon or something. So I guess we should. That's a good time to segue into the actual. <laughs> predictions you'd yes. like to start okay i think we can trade off um so sure. my first card on my list is boromir warden of the tower um it is two and a white for a three three legendary creature human soldier with vigilance whenever an opponent casts a spell if no mana was spent to cast it counter that spell you can sacrifice boromir warden of the tower and creatures you control gain indestructible until end of turn and the ring tempts you uh i think so easy point of comparison is like selfless spirit that's one mana cheaper, but does a lot less. Uh, and that's in 52,000 decks on EDH rec. So I think Bor Boromir, like, 
also serves the same purpose of just like a creature that can attack and block, but also is just protection against the many board wipes in commander. Um, and then he has a lot of like extra abilities, like, you know, the ring tempting you might matter sometimes the, um, ability to counter spells that were cast without mana also relevant in some cases. So I think it's a, a pretty safe pick. What is the first card on your list? Well, uh, and this might happen a few times this episode. <laughs> it's Boromir, Warden of the Tower. Um, so for everything that you said, I also agree. I think that Boromir um, is just the type of card that white decks like can thrive with. There's a lot, a lot, a lot more aggressive white starts. It's a human soldier. It goes in human decks. It goes in soldier decks. Um, and on top of the like, this isn't even really putting in the cherry on top of like when an opponent casts a spell stuff, you know, like when you cascade or um, force of will, you know, whatever it might be that's busted. So I think just the base use of this as a selfless spirit that's also fits into your tribal decks is just going to be enough to push Boromir over the edge. Um, so what's your second card? My second card is Gandalf the White. It is three white white for a four five legendary creature avatar wizard with flash. You may cast legendary spells and artifact spells as though they had flash. If a legendary permanent or an artifact entering or leaving the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So this card looks a, a fair bit like Panharmonicon. Um, it only counts for legendary permanence rather than all creatures um but it also has the added ability to give your legendary spells and artifact spells flash that's often very relevant um so i think this card does a lot for the mana cost and it also it also itself having flash just means you can like hold interaction up throw it in the the end of your opponent's turns limit your opponent's abilities to like answer it before you get to like kind of go off and get in your double triggers so for re- for reference panharmonicon is in 121,000 decks on edh rec uh, so i think that if that's any indicator like gandalf the wife the white might also be seeing a fair bit of play as well um, but what is the second card on your list well listener it is Gandalf the White, for all the reasons you said. I think just the thing that really convinced me was looking at EDH Rec for Panharmonicon. I'm like, this is basically like a Panharmonicon, but a little bit worse, but also just like different, (laughs) you know? Like, Mm -hmm. Panharmonicon doesn't give your legendary spells and artifact spells flash, uh, but Gandalf does. So I think there's just enough similar with enough value that it's going to get played. Um, And with all of that said, what's your third card? Uh, My third card is... Actually, go ahead and tell us your third card first. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So my third card that I put on my list is Call of the Ring. So Call of the Ring is the black enchantment from the set. It's one and a black, so two mana. It says, at the beginning of your upkeep, the ring tempts you. And whenever you choose a creature as your ring bearer, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. Um, So this I actually wouldn't have put on my list if I didn't 
get to play a ton of magic this last week um and just talk to people and see like what people were excited about at least in our play group or the normal play group that me and nick play with um and i was surprised at how many people talked about this card not just in the context of like ring tempts you decks but in the context of like attacking with your commander or like it draws you cards kind of bad it's like that uh the bad phyrexian arena like we talked about in the set review but also like a voltroni strategy like eventually you're also looting with this if you get to the second uh tempting with it so your commander or whoever gets to kind of more or less get in there safely there's usually someone you'll probably be able to attack so you can pay two to draw a card which also helps you looting like looting wants you to draw more cards so that you have more choices as you're looting so the like kind of sneaky power level combined with the Voltron nature of it combined with the fact that like uh even though we talk about like Phyrexian Arena is not as good of a card as it used to be, it's still in like a hundred eighty nine thousand decks on ETH Rec. Um I think that's kinda like where I'm at with this card. So I th- I think this is gonna be one that we're gonna see even not like outside of Ring Temps decks. Um but I think with that said, I'm not sure if you want to remark on that or if you want to just get into your third card. Uh, let's get into my third card and then we can sort of, you know, debate and discuss it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my third card is Mirkwood Bats. It's three and a black for a two, three creature bat with flying. Whenever you create or sacrifice a token, each opponent loses one life. So easiest point of comparison is Nadir's Nightblade. Um, Meteor's Nightblade is two and a black for one three creature elf warrior. Whenever a token you control leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So similar, like kind of a blood artist effect for tokens. Um, there's some significant differences like Mirkwood Bats, you have to sacrifice them. It's a bit more specific than like dying or leaving the battlefield, but it also triggers on creation, which can certainly happen a lot in Commander. Um and Nadir's Nightblade is in 43,000 decks on EDH Rec. So I think a lot of the decks that are interested in Nadir's Nightblade are also going to be interested in Mirkwood Bats. Like especially treasure decks um, are are going to be pretty interested in this card. So that's my pitch from Mirkwood Bats. Uh, what's the next card on your list? Well, <laughs> I'm going to let everyone know that my fourth card is also Mirkwood Bats. So <laughs> uh, right there with you for all the reasons you said. Um, I've really, really enjoyed Nadir's Nightblade in a bunch of decks. Um, and I've kind of been like finding reasons to put it into places just because it's been so good. Um, so I definitely think Mirkwood Bats fits into a lot of basically all the same archetypes. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So uh, with that said, what's your fourth card? Uh, my fourth card is Orcish Bowmasters. Um, so Orcish Bowmasters is one of the been has been one of the more hyped cards in the set. Uh, it's one in a black for a one one creature orch archer with flash. When it enters the battlefield, and whenever an opponent draws a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps, Orcish Bowmasters deals one damage to any target. Then amass orcs one. So there's not too many easy points of comparison. Um, it's not a draw replacer like Notion Thief or um, 
like the Narset from War of the Spark. And it's sort of like a draw trigger, like Underworld Dreams. Um, a little bit better in that it can like direct the damage wherever you want to. So like we're we're gonna be a little hand wavy with this. Um, but Underworld Dreams is in 32,000 decks on EDH rec. Um, so I think that that's maybe the floor we're looking at in terms of what um, the adoption cool. could be. It is worth noting that Underworld Dreams is also like less than a dollar, whereas the Bowmaster is at this point uh, $33. <laughs> so perhaps a little bit less easily obtained. Um, but it's still like a very strong card. There's a lot of, a lot of knobs, a lot of places to like hang your, your mechanical like interactions on just because it's creating sack fodder. It's putting a lot of plus plus one counters on the board. Um, it's dealing damage to any target. So if you have like death touch synergies, um, it just works well with a lot of things. And it's super freaking cheap as well. Uh, so very, very good card. Um, I think because it's seen so much buzz, I, it will probably see like higher rates of adoption, even despite its mana cost. Uh, but what is the next card on your list? Well, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's Orcish Bowmasters. <laughs> so for all the reasons you said, again, it's just uh, a gnarly, gnarly card. Um, this one in particular, I've been watching in like pretty degenerate formats, like like uh, watching people play vintage on Moto and stuff like that, and just watching people like Time Twister <laughs> with the Bowmaster, <laughs> like basically cuts like fifty game actions out of the equation with the Time Twister decks in Vintage, mm-hmm. where they used to be like, all right, play all my Moxen, like sack my Black Lotus, do all the stuff, Time Twister. All right, do all these things, time twister, do all these things. Time, and now it's just like time twister, time twister, time twister, you're dead. So <laughs> that's 1v1, obviously, but it's really, really similar in Commander. If you're in like red, blue, red, blue, black, like any of these Grixis combinations, you have enough wheels to just like kind of noob tube, if not everyone, at least the board and a player. Um, and I think that's good enough for two mana. You know, that's uh seems pretty good. It's also easily recurrable. It's also gives you an army if they end up killing the bowmaster. Like if you get like twenty one cards deep, like rat the board, and then somebody like has an answer in one of the wheels or something like that. Oh no, you still have a, like a twenty one twenty one army <laughs> that you can kill someone. It's it's wild. So, um, all of that said, what is your fifth card? Uh, my fifth card is Fiery Inscription. Uh, so Fiery Inscription is two and a red for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, the ring tempts you. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, Fiery Inscription deals two damage to each opponent. So the easiest point of comparison is Gutter Snipe, which is same mana cost, but for a 2-2 goblin, uh, doesn't tempt you when it enters the battlefield, but it also has the same like cast trigger on it um so gutter snipe is currently in eighty-three thousand decks on edh rec so very high adoption um fiery inscription like 
does the same thing, is less vulnerable, is like comparably easy to obtain. It's only like 20 cents or something. Um, so I think that's uh, pretty much a, a slam dunk. I think that's like clearly going to see play in a lot of spell slinger decks. Um, what's the next card on your list? It's Fire Inscription. <laughs> <laughs> so my sixth card is Fire Inscription. It's, I was talking to someone about this card because uh, they were like, oh, you have Gutter Snipe in your Feather list, right? And I actually don't have Gutter Snipe in my Feather list. Just It happened to be that like in our play group, as soon as I play a Gutter Snipe in any of my Spellslinger-y decks, it just dies immediately. I am probably going to put Fiery Inscription in those decks, though, mm-hmm. just because it's not a two-toughness creature that can die to a stiff wind. So uh, I'm I'm very into uh, Fiery Inscription. Um, and at this point, uh, would you want to get into... Well, I guess let me get into my... Uh, Seventh my card. next card, my seventh card, yeah, and then yeah. the, the, we we have a method to the madness, listener. So, um, so for my seventh card, I am picking spiteful banditry. So spiteful. Let me get the exact wording up. Spiteful banditry is a red enchantment, so it costs X red red, and it says one spiteful banditry enters the battlefield deals X damage to each creature. So it's kind of a wrath you know kind of an earthquake effect Uh, and it says when one or more creatures your opponent's control die you create a treasure token this ability triggers only once each turn um so this is kind of a bad wrath you know it kills tokens or it kills small things or if you have a bunch of mana it kills everything um and it gives you tokens and if you can kill things once a turn then it gives you a treasure every turn um, and the reason that I'm putting this on the list is actually because of the treasure part of the card. Like, I think the wrath things is very good. Like, spending four, kill all the two toughness things, get a treasure is pretty good. But treasure matter cards, especially like the red ones, are just incredibly highly played, especially the good ones. So, as an example, Goldspan Dragon is in like over 58,000 decks. Uh, Brass's Bounty is in over 54,000 decks. Magda, uh, Brazen Outlaw, the the dwarf that makes treasure when she becomes tapped, as a card is in 38,000 decks and is also just one of the most popular like mono red commanders these days. Um, And and that's not even looking at like the uh, other treasure cards like uh, uh, what's the the big score. Um, which is in also just like a crap ton of decks. This is an 84,000 deck. So all of these cards are different. You know, like Goldspan Dragon is not the same as a Wrath. Like Brass's Bounty makes a bunch of treasure, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. the fact that this makes treasure means that it fits into these decks in a way that, um, and like fills a role for your treasure decks that isn't really being filled by other treasure cards. So that's kind of why I'm I'm putting it on the list here. Um, but with that said, I guess we got to get into your sixth card. Would you like to get into your sixth card? Sure. Uh, my sixth card is Delighted Halfling. Uh, it's a single green mana for a one-two creature halfling. Halfling citizen, actually. Uh, it taps for a colorless mana, and it also has tap, add one mana of any color, 
spend this mana only to cast legendary spells, and those spells are um, or can't be countered. So uh, it's a one mana mana dork, and there just aren't a ton of those. They, um, but the ones that see play, I, I mean, pretty much all of them see like tons of play, even though this one doesn't add colored mana in all situations. Like, I think you can kind of compare it to like Boreal Druid, which is the, the snow mana dork that adds a single colorless mana. So, uh, Boreal Druid is in 35,000 decks on EDH rec. And I think that even though this, even though like, you know, they both only add colorless mana, I think the, the bonuses on Delighted Halfling the ability to add colored mana for legendary spells and prevent your legendary spells from being countered. I think that's a much larger bonus than like the snow mana produced by Boreal Druid. So I, I would expect this to see a ton of play. Its price has already has like already climbed pretty significantly since it was initially um, released. So I, I think that this is like slam dunk i think it's just going to be like a format staple but what's the next card on your list yeah so my eighth card is delighted halfling also um and yeah this is making waves in modern turns out another one mana mana dork that makes your uh other legendary spells pretty good it's a good card so (laughs) kind (laughs) of no surprises there It, it is also very funny like how often like I just end up running as many one mana mana dorks as possible in a deck, you know, like, oh, this commander's three or or costs three mana, or this deck has like a really high density of really important three drops, uh, you know, whatever the the reasoning might be, they're just they're so good. <laughs> it's crazy mm-hmm. how good one drop that makes one mana is. That said, what is your seventh card? Uh, my seventh card is Elven Chorus. Um, so Elven Chorus is an enchantment for four mana, so three and a green. And it says, you may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. And creatures you control have tap, add one mana of any color. So this is just a combination of two existing cards. Um, those cards are Vizier of the Menagerie. and um, Cryptolith, right? Vizier of the Menagerie is uh, basically the same thing on a creature. It's four mana. Um, that's in 15,000 decks on EDH rec. And Cryptolith, right, is in 58,000 decks on EDH rec. So I think that like Cryptolith, right, has certainly shown its, um, its power and popularity in Commander. And then tossing in like the vizier abilities on top of that and making it so that it's also a card advantage engine. Um, that's a pretty appealing bonus as well. And I think this, the whole package is like well worth the four mana. Um, but that's, so I think that has a shot. Uh, the next card on my list is Entish restoration. Um, so Entish restoration is, uh, three mana. It's an instant two and a green. Sacrifice a land, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. If you control a creature with power four or greater, instead search your library for up to three basic land cards, 
put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Uh, this is, uh, well, okay. It looks a lot like a better version of Roiling Regrowth. Uh, Roiling Regrowth is in 58,000 decks on EDH rec, and Entish Restoration is essentially that, plus this added bonus of getting you another land if you happen to have a creature with four or more power. So, you know, given that it's so comparable to a popular existing card, I think it has a good shot of making waves in Commander. Uh, what's the next card on your list? Uh, so, the next card on my list is Entish Restoration. I mean, so it's also on your list as well. Very oh, good. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I think one of the things about cards like this is that they, um. People are slow to upgrade cards that are just strict upgrades, but I think this set has enough uh, oomph behind it, enough like hype that even cards that like are just marginally better than other ones might end up seeing more play. And this isn't even just marginally better; this is like massively better yeah. than uh, a, a, the most similar card to it. I think the only reason you wouldn't switch is because there's not that many decks with creatures of four power or greater, but I just don't believe that. I don't believe that there's that many commander players in green that can't meet this condition. But that said, uh, that was my ninth card. Do you want to get into your ninth card? Sure thing. Uh, My ninth card is Mithril Coat. Mithril Coat is three mana for a legendary artifact equipment. It has flash and indestructible. When it enters the battlefield, attach it to target legendary creature you control. Equipped creature has indestructible and it has equip three. So this kind of just looks like a better version of dark steel plate. Yeah. <laughs> um, aside from the, the slightly increased equip cost. Um, it's just overall way, way, way better for the same thing. Um, and dark steel plate is in 58,000 decks on EDH rec. So mostly better version of an existing card. I think this uh, is pretty easy guess here um and then if it matters it's legendary there's there's areas where that is relevant as well the last card on my list before we get to honorable mentions oh yeah is the one ring so this is aside from bow masters and this is like one of the most hyped cards in the set it's already seeing a lot of play in modern there's talk of banning it um so very powerful card um it is four mana for a legendary artifact with indestructible when it enters the battlefield if you cast it you gain protection from everything until your next turn at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring and then it has tap put a burden counter on the one ring then draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring. So uh, this does a lot. It's like a super fog. Um, It gets you a lot of card advantage. There's many ways you can can synergize with this. You can bounce it. If you have a way to bounce it to your hand, you can just like keep gaining protection from everything and like also prevent yourself from losing a bunch of life to the burdens um and even if you like don't really cheat it you can pretty easily just like gain 
a ton of card advantage enough that like you don't care so much about the life you're losing um because it's i mean it is like limited in that you can only draw like one card on the first turn two on the second turn three on the third turn unless you're doing something fancy but it's still um a lot of cards over a relatively short amount of time after you've gotten like two burden counters on here it feels really really good and for four mana um it's quite a bargain um i think its power has been demonstrated and then there's just a lot of ways to like get out from the the danger zone you can just like uh if you can copy it with like a sculpting steel or you know a phyrexian metamorph anything like that you can just have a new one get the advantage of the the protection from everything again and like wipe away all your burden encounters um you can also just like kill it with exile removal there's plenty of things and lots of color identities that'll get rid of it or sacrifice it or something um i just think it's a a very very solid card one of the best cards in the set as shown by its tournament results um and yeah i i think our list would be incomplete without the one ring on it yeah i think it has to like i'm actually just completely blown away because as you're saying like the fair use of this card like tap draw a card tap draw two cards tap draw three cards like lose some life in the process um still feels crazy busted even though you are losing life and it really doesn't take much to just push this over the edge like completely mm-hmm. um having any untap effects uh any ways to bounce it you know like any ways to deal with the burden counters uh like twiddling it like being able to just draw multiple cards on one turn with it that there's there's a like dozens of ways to take this card that is like merely incredibly good and bust it wide open this is just how every commander player like is this is what every commander player wants you know it's like Mm -hmm. uh i will trade a ton of life for immeasurable value um so i think it's like a perfect home run in design as well as just a card that's fun to play with (laughs) like they really knocked it out of the park there yeah, and although its uh, dollar value is currently pretty high, like the, the cheapest version is $47, um, It because they threw one into every bundle, like this card is obtainable. Like you can buy one and then just get a whole bunch of packs on top of it and not feel like too bad about, you know, how much you spent. Yeah, yeah, the bundle is like key here. Like there's some like, Maybe Orcish Bowmasters doesn't end up in the top 10 because the price keeps it out, you know. But if you want, you know, a one ring, you can. You can get a one ring. Yeah, yeah you can you can find it. You can get the bundle. You're you're good to go. You, you're always going to be guaranteed the one uh, in a bundle that you can pick up at like Target or Walmart or, you know, whatever big box store. If your local game store doesn't have them or if they're marking them up for some reason so mm-hmm. um yeah it, it's accessible which is also a big part of this um so that's it those are our top 10 so combined um so far we have boromir warden of the tower gandalf the white 
Mirkwood Bats, Orcish Bowmasters, Fiery Inscription, Delighted Halfling, Entish Restoration, and the One Ring, which leaves two spots left. But before we get into uh, this, I do want to talk about uh, Blue. Or, or do you want to do some honorable mentions right now? Let's get our honorable mentions out of the way because this will sort of like bring up Blue as part of that conversation. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, I only have one honorable mention, and it's Born Upon the Wind. All right, this is one to Blue for an instant. You may cast spells this turn as though they had Flash, draw a card. Um, so it's just a way to grant your things Flash for a turn. I think a relatively easy point of comparison would be Emergence Zone, the land from um, War of the Spark. It's a land that taps for colorless, and you could pay one tap, sacrifice it to give your spells Flash for the turn. Uh, so that is currently in um, 77,000 decks on EDH rec. Emergence Zone is like kind of similar in that it doesn't really take up a slot in your deck. Emergent Zone just, you know, fits into your mana base and Born of Born Upon a Win. Yeah, it'll it'll take up a slot, but it replaces itself with a card. So it's not like a real burden to run it. Um. And Born Upon the Wind has the benefit of like not leaving you down a land afterwards. So I think it's a pretty solid card. And really, it was I had like 11 cards on my list for the longest time. And Born Upon the Wind was one of them. And it's really just the fact that it like is so unsexy and workmanlike that got it relegated to honorable mention status instead of making it into the top 10. But I, I think it is a very good card. Uh, what are your honorable mentions? Yeah, I'm going to say, so Born Upon a Wind was also on my honorable mentions. I had it on my list also, um, and then I just... Demoted it, it. Yeah, I demoted it also, but mine was mostly because I was... <laughs> before we started the episode, I was talking to Nick about the Nazgul. Because <laughs> I was like, if they count the Nazgul nine times per deck, then it's going to be one <laughs> of the most played cards. But um, that's just not how EDH rec works, so... Uh, off went to Nazgul, and off went Born with the Wind for some of these other cards. So I really like it. It's a card I'm going to play a lot, but that doesn't always mean people will. The other honorable mentions that I wanted to say was, uh, were, the first one is um, a Mono Green. It's Mar- Last March of the Ents. There's a lot of hype over this card, but it's like worse than other options that we have, <laughs> basically. This is the 8-mana Sorcery. It cannot be countered. It costs 6 Green Green. It says draw cards equal to the greatest toughness among creatures you control, then put any number of creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Um, you know, that's like a really splashy big effect, but if you compare it to effects we already have, it kind of measures that pretty unfavorably. Um, it's not like, usually in green you're going to have squared stats anyway, so like, this is going to draw you a similar amount of cards to your like, Rishkar's expertise, which also gets you a free card but also only costs six mana instead of eight mana. And it's nice that this puts a bunch of stuff onto the battlefield for free, but like you're doing, I don't know, you're getting that with a lot of different things. So it's splashy and cool and fun, but it's on the honorable mention. So the other one is rise of the witch King. So this is a card that I've just heard a lot of people talk about, which is why I was going to try and put it on the list, but I just don't think it's going to make it. Um, So rise of the witch King is a four mana sorcery. Costs two black green. So each player sacrifices a creature. 
If you sacrificed a creature this way, you may return another permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield. So it's kind of an expensive effect, but if you like view it from the lens of every time we've seen reanimate a permanent, it's like five mana or more, uh, usually in Orzhov. This is the first time that we get it for four mana, and I guarantee you you're going to have a Wood Elves or some stupid like <laughs> mana dork or something that you'd be more than willing to trade in for some, you know, like a f- portal to Phyrexia or something, you know, like something just absolutely wild. So this is a very powerful card. It's a really cool card. It also clears the board up a little bit for your uh, opponents that don't have as many you know, death triggers, graveyard synergies, but it's not as, it's not as cool as, as the ones that I feel like made the list or not as, as either not as splashy, not as powerful, not as something. So it, it stayed on the honorable mentions. So, um, that's all of that. So as, as we kind of talked about a little bit with Born on the Wind, we didn't have any blue cards in in here um oops i think uh nick actually made this point and i'm gonna say because it was from another episode it was that um in a set that's meant for casual players it's really hard to find stuff that blue does that's fun um and i really think that's like a poignant point like blue does a lot of stuff that spike really likes and does a lot of stuff that is fun for magic players but it is hard to make stuff that looks appealing to like the average, you know, Timmy plays commander once a month guy, you know? So I'm not sure if you want to speak on that at all, or if there's anything else you want to add before we round this episode up, you know? No, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I still feel that way. Um, I think that like, there just weren't a lot of appealing cards for commander in this set. Um, in blue and some of the the ones that were notable like like Meneldor swift savior i thought was kind of nice as like a, a blink engine but also i think that probably should have just been a white card it just looks like a um oh that there's like a kithkin a white kithkin that does the exact same thing oh, yeah yeah <laughs> um anyway yeah not not a great set for blue but that's that's fine this is a set for people who love hobbitses and food tokens and whatever. So it's not, yeah, they, they also, I don't get them next time. Yeah. I I don't know if you listen to the, yeah, you'll get them next time. The Morrow podcast talking about the design of this set too. um, the drive to work. They were talking about how they had a problem because in a magic set, when they're making a setting, they can just make something up. They're like, well, what is the green faction going to be here? And they go, oh, well, the green faction could be this creature type. And these guys are here. And this is the society that they all have. But you can't do that with Universes Beyond. That's like one of the biggest like problems that you have to face when you're designing like a Universes Beyond set. So they looked at Middle Earth and they went, oh, there's a ton of black creatures. You know, there's creatures that mm-hmm. we could put in red. Uh, and there's a ton of like green and white creatures, you know, like the the humans, the hobbits, the elves, the elves you know, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. But what do we do with blue? <laughs> like, <laughs> they also had to pull pretty deep. If you like look at the set, you can kind of see that like most of the creatures are the flying, which are really really important 
to a magic set, they had to pull pretty, pretty deep from or like repeat. So like there's a lot of eagles mm-hmm. in the set, you know, and that is because those are pretty much the only creatures with flying. So even though they don't show up that much in the story, you know, they show up at key points in the story. You get them a lot in draft because they had to have some uncommon three, four flyer in white, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And there just weren't like a lot of memorable things with flying aside from the eagles mm-hmm. um, or like the bats or the yeah it's just yeah how it is you know the the there's the one time that the dunlin Curbane, that the murder of crows that are the spies for saruman um yeah, fly by yeah yeah so like oh they get a card <laughs> like <laughs> boom that's another flyer down um so yeah so the set basically was struggling with what even blue cards could exist. So I have to give them credit for making a set that functions as well as it does with an unbalanced color pie just from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so let's, let's do this. We got two slots. Um, do you want to pitch one first or do you want me to, to, to pitch one? Cause I, I know one that I want to pull off of your list that I think you've convinced me of. Okay, uh, t- tell me, because there's a card off your list that I think uh, I-, I would also... Um, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, as easy. Well, but w- what are you thinking for my list? Uh, so Mithril Coat, I thought about this card. The more you're talking about it and the more I think about recent Magic experiences and I saw like four different players play a Dark Steel Plate <laughs> this last <laughs> weekend. So I'm I'm willing to... Be like, oh, you know what? You're probably right about that. <laughs> that one, yeah. A, probably a friend of ours like already picked up like six mithril coats for his yeah. for like six of his decks. Like, okay, yeah. Okay. So um, if you're cool so, yeah. with that, then I'm going to add that one on there. No, I'm good with that. Um, and then the card from your list, like, I think, uh, spiteful banditry makes sense. So it's, you know, people go crazy for their treasure production like if meat hook massacre is any indication then just like wrath plus long-term value in your deck is probably gonna fare pretty well um so i think that 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 one like makes sense on the list as well like meat hook despite its mana cost is in seventy two thousand decks on edh rec um so I think that makes sense. I think I'm pretty happy with this top 10. This was overall not easy to settle on. I know. Yeah. Um, We did like a lot of work beforehand to make this smooth, but uh, yeah, it's I'm willing to be wrong in like a few months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, that is our, our top 10 list. Uh, I'll read it off one more time. It is Boromir, Warden of the Tower, Gandalf the White, Mirkwood Bats, Orcish Bowmasters, Fiery Inscription, Spiteful Banditry, Delighted Halfling, Entish Restoration, Mithril Coat, The One Ring. So, man, I think this is not the easiest set, in part because there's a lot of good cards, a lot of easy comparisons to existing powerful Commander Staples. Um, but also it's a little difficult to predict what people are going to gravitate towards in like a flavor first set like this. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like, I know what I like and I know what in general, like players like we've done this so long that I 
have a pretty good feeling for that. But the fact that people aren't just looking at mechanics in this set, that people are looking at like, oh yeah, my rule zero Gimli and Legolas deck <laughs> like really needs uh, this, you know, Rivendale in it, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that. Like, yeah, is that yeah. something that's going to tilt the numbers in any given direction is impossible to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely a challenge. Um, but we'll see how we fared when we check back in right around the end of uh, Throne of Eldraine spoiler season. Um, before we go, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, Hannah, Andy, James, Bryce, Benjamin, Brandon, Kaidel, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrew, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal Riddle, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, Cameron, Valerio, Quincy, Carrie, Stephen, The Longs, Vincent, Viseo, Dylan, Cameron, Icy Wiener, Aiden, and Scott. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln continental by Nick cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk pop punk band called the have nots all one word like cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to the have nots.bandcamp.com. That is T H E H A V N A U T S.bandcamp.com and check us out. Let me know what you think.